Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. If you haven't figured out by now, I am James Finch and this is The Finch Show. Welcome back. I'm glad uh, it kind of feels like with everything that's been going on with the pandemic, um, been slowly able to get back into this thing, taking some more precautions. Um, you know, it used to be back in the old day that, back in the old day, God, which is what, March? It was real easy to do one of these, hey, come over, come on, we'll sit down, we'll bullshit, everything will be great. Um, not so easy to do anymore, but we're making it work the best we can. We're working with what we got. So we're back for another one. Before I do the podcast, we have to talk about our sponsor who has been here from the beginning, Black Star Woodcrafts. If you have not checked this guy out, you can find him Facebook, Instagram, if you have not checked him out, you are doing yourself a disservice. This guy makes some amazing stuff. And I've said it before, do you ever go to like a, a gift shop or something like that and you see kind of like, you know, a, a wood, um, I, I don't want to use the word trinket, but a wood, I guess, product that's like, a, you know, a box or something like that. And it looks kind of nice, but it's, you know, you're not quite sure about the construction, it feels a little flimsy. And of course, it's got that Made in China sticker on the bottom of it. You do not have to worry about that with Black Star Woodcrafts. Woodcrafts. Let me say it correctly for the guy. But the guy who is the owner and runs it and does everything, his name is Scott. He is a very, very dear friend of mine. He is one of the most stand-up dudes I've ever met in my life. He has got a shop up in Michigan where he designs, makes, finishes, ships everything himself. And he does a pretty wide array of... Of products for being a guy who runs the whole thing himself um, he does bath caddies he does rings actually I've mentioned it before both the wedding band that me and my wife have he did which is like it's like a metal ring with a, a wood engraved inlay in it that's polished they look absolutely amazing um, he does really really cool pens actually he my he made a pen for me for Christmas that uh, my wife unbeknownst to me contacted him about how to make this custom wood pen for me it looks absolutely amazing I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's what I use to make notes on for this podcast and pretty much anything else um, We have this really really cool uh, Wine bottle topper that he made for us that you know after you open a bottle of wine You put that back in the center of the cork. It's decorative. It's this like blue swirly polished Ridged wood that's absolutely beautiful. He does really really great stuff Get on there, check them out. If you see something that you like, you contact, everything he makes is custom. He doesn't like say, this is my 2000, my 2020 pen and I'm gonna make 500 of them and sell them. Everything he makes is to order. So there's no like, you know, cookie cutter production, man. Like you contact him, you say, hey, I really, really like this product, but can I get it like this or in this color or this size? And he will 100% work with you on that. So you contact them directly through there, Blackstar Woodcrafts, Facebook, Instagram, and if you tell him that you came via this podcast, The Finn Show, you will get 10% off your order, and I guarantee you that you will not be disappointed. So go check them out. Do yourself the favor. Right now is a good time. You know, we've got how many months until Christmas, uh, how many birthdays are coming up, get those orders in. And I guarantee you, you get one of those for yourself or a family member, and they will be impressed at the originality and the craftsmanship. I cannot recommend it enough. So, now that that's out of the way, my guest today is someone who 
just recently popped up on my radar. And I think for a lot of people who live in the Freeport area, he's kind of newly burst onto the scene. It's not like he was just recently began to exist. It's just recently that he's kind of popped up on everybody's scene in Freeport and Stevens County being on the local political scene. Um, he's a mover and a shaker. His name is Carl Ott, and he, along with some other people, uh, began a page on Facebook called The Voice of Freeport, which has really been moving and shaking up a lot what's been going on in local politics in terms of the city council and the county board and the local Democratic Party. Um, we plowed through two hours, and it did not feel like that at all. He's a really, really great guy. I really admire everything that he's been doing. Um, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is Carl. All right, we are live. I'm here with Carl. Carl, thanks for coming. Thank you. Appreciate thank you being you, here. Thank you for inviting me. You've been, um, I want to say, we were just talking just before we started this, is that, uh, you know, January, you kind of burst on the scene. I think for me, like a lot of people in Freeport, you just kind of like burst onto our radar. Like all of a sudden, who's this wild man out here doing this stuff? Because yeah, this yeah. is, it's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But what was sort of the, where did that start for you? Uh, so a, a few catalysts. Uh, it's funny. I just told this story to somebody else uh, out of juniors. Uh, I usually have it well rehearsed. Uh, so basically, uh, when I figured out that I was going to be in Freeport for a while, uh, you know, because my plan originally was I was going to start my insurance business and then travel, right? You know, I could because I can sell insurance anywhere. Uh, so I was going to spend my summers in Ohio and my winters in Florida and just uh, pop into Freeport whenever, you know, I, I needed to for whatever reason. Uh, so originally it became a financial issue. I wasn't quite ready to enact that plan. Mm -hmm. uh, then it became a pandemic issue, yeah. right? Uh, then it became a financial crisis. Uh, and then we went into uh, civil unrest mode, right? Uh, on top of everything else happening in our country and our world, frankly, uh, you know, with Trump and, you know, j just the craziness that is our entire mm -hmm. political system right now. Um, so in January, when it was starting to look like I wasn't going to be going anywhere, uh, I, I had to have a tough decision or a tough conversation with myself and ask if I was going to be okay with being here, you know, uh, because I had been gone from Freeport for over 20 years and uh, there was never an intention to come back uh, beyond birthdays and anniversaries and, you know, the occasional death here and there. Right. I had no desire, you know, whatsoever. Uh, so I had that tough conversation with myself, and one of the things I asked myself is, was I prepared to be here as a gay man, uh, knowing how uh, repressive it is for gay people in Freeport, in Stevenson County, uh, and what I was going to do about that, because I'd, I had already felt in the two years I had been back off and on, uh, helping take care of my grandmother, that... I could already feel that closet 
creeping back in, right? You know, there's no uh, openly gay thing around Freeport, right? right? You know, yeah. where we can go hang out and, you know, be comfortable. Uh, so I sought out some advice uh, from a, a local person, I, you know, won't, won't throw them under the bus, but uh, <laughs> basically I said, you know, what, what is it around here, you know, that, uh, you know, I can get involved in, you know. So I found out that UCC has a, you know, PRISM uh, group that meets, you know, every two weeks. So, okay, I'm like, I'm going to check that out, you know. Uh, then I found out that the local Democrats had a round table, right? You know, so I'm like, I'm going to show up to that. And then I met uh, Jody Koss and Ed Klein, who uh, head up the Indivisible group here. Uh, which really sparked my interest because I had been deeply involved in Indivisible out in Arizona. Okay. Uh, what is that exactly? So Indivisible is a group that sprung out of Trump getting elected. Okay. Right? Uh, it's a nationwide, uh, loosely tied organization, right? It, it's a bunch of local organizations that call themselves Indivisible Freeport or Indivisible 17th Congressional District or Indivisible Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? You know, okay. every, every region, city, location, you know, congressional district, however they want to set it up, uh, has an Indivisible group. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically what they are, progressive-minded individuals who saw what happened in 2016 and said, uh, we need to fight back. Yeah. You know, uh, and it really sprang out of how the Tea Party uh, came to power in 2010 as a reaction to Obama and healthcare, right? Yeah. Uh, it was really the same rules of engagement that they <laughs> in turn used uh, to come back and go after Trump and Republicans. Uh, I myself credit Indivisible uh, with a huge uh, part of what happened in 2018 uh, with the, you know, big blue wave and Democrats, you know, uh, and their historic victory in Congress. Mm -hmm. In 2018, Indivisible was a huge part of that. Okay. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to sidetrack your story. I no, just... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I will sidetrack you. Sidetrack me. I, I, I can talk. Uh, as anybody will tell you, I can talk a long time, uh, and probably cover seven different topics in uh, one sentence. So, uh, if I get off topic myself, let me know. No, no, no. We'll just we'll just go down off in the weeds together frequently. That's all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, what's um what what's been going on with the city council? Because that seems like that's just a bag of cats right now. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. I didn't even really care about the city when I first got involved. Uh, one of the first things I worked on uh, back in January when I met Jody and Ed through Indivisible is they said, hey, you know, we're really busy on this uh, Medicare for All thing right now. And, you know, we're working on several things. But uh, the Walnut Acres Nursing Center issue that is owned by the county right mm -hmm. so it's owned by all of us excuse me um this has popped up on our radar again and we really need somebody to look into this uh to see what's going on you know because uh local republicans continuously bring this nursing center up on their radar 
as a focal point of wanting to get rid of it because a lot of them just ideologically don't believe the county should be in the nursing home business, right? Right. Um, so I got involved in that, which then in turn, as we you know put together the nursing home campaign, just kind of uh, got me involved in the county board, mm-hmm. right? So that's what I did for the first three months I was involved here. Uh, was focused on the county board, went to county board meetings, went to county board committee meetings, uh, got to know all the principals in the county board, uh, which was interesting because they were pretty affable. Uh, you know, they, they were uh, at least conversational and, you know, wanted to have dialogue. Uh, the city... Uh, it's hard to even remember, you know, it's all moved so fast (laughs) over the last three months, you know, pandemic times. Uh, The city first got on my radar uh, back in April, I believe it was, uh, because we were alerted to the fact that there were potentially uh, a lot of people in Freeport that were living without water, we didn't know how many, uh, even though the city will tell you that we were, you know, saying there were 1,200 people or something ridiculous. Uh, you know, we didn't know how many, so we wanted to address that, you know, because here we are, we're in a pandemic, right? right. The one thing we're worried about is people washing their hands and practicing mm-hmm. proper hygiene, and we have people living in the community that can't even bathe, right? You know, yeah. uh, so we sought answers on that. And so the first thing I did was uh, organize a campaign to start calling our local alder people. Uh, So, you know, I called mine. uh, uh, And then I'm like, well, that was simple. I'm just going to call all of them. You know, there's only eight of them. Right, yeah. Uh, So uh, me and about five other people started calling all the alder people. Uh, to find out what they knew and, you know, where we could get answers. And almost to a letter, none of them even realized, you know, uh, or at least that's what they told us, uh, realized that this was uh, an issue, you know. So they, in turn, started calling the mayor and uh, the city manager, Mm -hmm. uh, who was already Randy Bukas at the time. He was the interim city manager at that time. you know, and there was some dialogue with uh, the mayor, Jody Miller, as well. Uh, but mostly it was just through the Alder people that we were trying to figure out the answers to this. And in those conversations, we were telling them, like, look, you know, our figures tell us that there are 1,200 properties in the city of Freeport that don't have water turned on right now. Now, is this spread out throughout the city or is it one particular part of town that, or that's an interesting question okay right? because of course uh any of us that are aware of any policies uh in freeport uh you know we're always questioning what side of town they're impacting the worst right yeah you know, uh those of us who live over here on the west side of town uh especially on the other side of uh west street mm-hmm. right we normally don't have to worry about any of the policy impacts that the city will have on us, right? It, we're usually in the clear. Mm-hmm. Um, but any policy uh, or any problem that we face, uh, you know, the east side, 
specifically now east of Walnut, right? Yeah. You know, has a, a terrible impact on that side of town, right? Uh, and then you know, we kind of got that no man's land between West and Walnut now where, you know, there's this battle uh, on, on what side of town they're really, you know, supposed <laughs> right. to really impact. Or at least that's how I've kind of mapped it out in my mm -hmm. work so far. Uh, it, it's probably more my idea than there is an <laughs> idea in the community that it exists that way. Um, so anyway, uh, yes, a, a, a big portion of those properties, the 1,200 properties that we were uh, tipped off to because somebody else had done the work leading up to this, uh, they, they essentially told us that, hey, there, all I know is that there are 1,200 properties out there that used to have water in the city of Freeport that no longer do. You know? Now, through further research, we did find out that a big portion of those properties were empty lots. Okay. Right? No longer had houses on them. Uh, but yes, a, a big portion of them were on the east side, uh, the third, fourth, and fifth wards, mm -hmm. right? Uh, third and fourth wards, the, the probably more than half of them. Yeah. Um, but you would be surprised at how many of those lots do exist on the west side. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, so uh, through that, we then narrowed it down to about 183 properties that had physical structures on them, mm -hmm. right? Uh, now the big question was how many of those properties have people living in them? Right. You know, it, it just seemed unfathomable that, you know, 183 properties, like I, I couldn't even believe that, you know, it, it was a question that we had to ask in the first month of a pandemic mm -hmm. uh, in the city of Freeport, you know. How many people might be living in 183 properties uh, without water? Yeah. You know, that was a wake-up call to me and uh, several people that I've worked with. Uh, you know, so we wanted to get answers, you know. And the more we tried to get answers, the more uh, stonewalling we received from the mayor and the city manager. You know. Okay. Now, was this an infrastructure issue or was this a... Uh unpaid bill situation what it, it, it's a mixture of that those two things and more okay uh you know and, and quite quite honestly we don't even have all the answers yet I, I wish i could sit here and tell you that we understand it better than we did then uh but honestly we received so much stonewalling uh from the mayor and the city manager uh over the issue now i i will give them credit for this one thing uh, we were in the middle of a pandemic mm -hmm. uh, that had just started at that point in time. So they did have a lot of things on their plate. Right. Uh, but dealing with the pandemic was their job. Yeah. And this was a pandemic-related issue yeah. that could have an impact on our community. Um, so I don't give them credit for the fact that, you know, uh, there were people interested in, you know, helping the community and figuring out this issue. Uh, and they basically, you know, cast us off as, you know, the, you know, the typical thing, the hippie liberals are out to save the world. Oh, those you protesters know, that, yeah, are here freezing yeah. hell again. Yeah, that, that's essentially how they treated us, uh, to the point that Randy Bukas even said in a city council meeting uh, that he didn't return any of our calls 
because we disagreed on the issue and that there was no purpose in talking to us, right? That seems like a leadership thing yeah, to yeah. say. Uh, the interim city manager at the time, oh, right? He okay. wasn't even hired on <laughs> as a full-time city manager. All right. right. And he felt uh, confident enough to say that publicly in a city hall meeting. What is there to disagree on that? I mean, if you're talking about a pandemic or we're talking about a town like Freeport, any kind of community, um, you know, it's a boat that right. we're all in together. Right. And if one part of that has a hole in it, it threatens everything. Right. You know, if you've got an area for whatever reason that doesn't have the necessary means to clean themselves and that ends up becoming a catalyst for the spread of the virus within that community, right. that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, uh, so the first thing I would say to that is, you know, we also have a mayor that uh, doesn't really take the virus that seriously in the first place, right? Uh, you know, Mayor Jody Miller was at the uh, listening session for the Social Justice Committee on Thursday, not wearing a mask. And, uh, you know, we were there with the voice of Freeport uh, broadcasting it live, and, you know, all people could ask me for about five minutes in the broadcast was, who is that coughing in the background, right? Mm -hmm. for, for four or five minutes straight. Uh, and all I could tell them is that it was Mayor Jody Miller. And, you know, then people asked, you know, is she wearing a mask? And I had to say, no, she's not wearing a mask. Right. Uh, you know, so, uh, of course, you know, Mayor Jody Miller uh, also signed on to a letter uh, with uh, nine or ten uh, village presidents here in the county, right, uh, to send a letter to the governor uh, saying that his, you know, shutdown, you know, restrictions were too strict, uh, wanting us to open up early. Uh, of course, that was well before our explosion of cases that we had here in Stevenson County, uh, and well before the first, you know, deaths were recorded. Uh, so, you know, that, that of course was well before we knew all of that. So mm -hmm. I was confounded myself yeah. as to how anybody in charge of our city could not be taking this issue seriously. Right. Cause I didn't know what I know now. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was very confused how they couldn't take this seriously. Yeah. That's, um. Yeah, that's part of the problem. You know, we kind of have a rub with that, a big time rub where, you know, I believe me, I don't want I don't want anybody I don't want anybody to suffer, whether it's, you know, health wise or economically. I get that. I understand that it was putting a tremendous strain on local businesses. I understand that 100 percent. But, you know, when lives are in the balance, it's kind of like and sometimes I wonder about that when you see these um and I, I, you could probably speak on this with more authority than I do, but when it, when it comes to Freeport, when I see local communities who are, you know, when they say local communities and really the leadership of those communities are, you know, said, basically sending protest letters to state government saying you need to open this stuff back up, how much that's really reflect, reflecting the community versus how much of that is just the business owners within the community upset that their businesses have been disrupted. Yeah. Uh, so, so to that, I, I, I would... Uh my personal opinion of this, uh, I don't have evidence other than, you know, the, the suggestion of what I know about this community uh, and how deeply involved I've been in it for the last, you know, seven months now. Uh, my, my personal opinion is that those letters came from up above, mm -hmm. you know, 
Uh, there are powers that be beyond Jody Miller and Randy Buchis and those nine village presidents uh, who I uh, referred to when they first signed on to as the nine village idiots. <laughs> uh, you know, but I don't know if they're idiots or not. I've never met any of them. So I, I look forward to meeting the, the, the village president of Rockton. Though. Mm-hmm. Uh, someday I'm sure I will have the chance. Uh, and, and same thing when the 14 Republican county board members uh, signed on to a letter to send to the governor as well. Uh, they didn't just magically, you know, here it is, our city and our county uh, have trouble accomplishing the big things that we need to accomplish. And all of a sudden, uh, 23 of them agreed to sign on to this letter to the yeah. governor. Come on. Yeah. Uh, who are we kidding? Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that those uh, likely came from uh, more ideological uh, folks uh, in higher office, uh, perhaps a state you know, representative or a state senator uh, that might be centralized in this area. Uh, you know, th- there, were, there were higher powers you know, behind those letters. Right. Uh, and they can tell me all they want that it was their idea, which they've tried to. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't think uh, most uh, uh, independent-minded people in the area believe that either. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of, because it was one of, it was interesting when I saw it first pop up kind of in the local news cycle that this had happened. It it, it felt a little baffling to me because it didn't seem like there was a groundswell from the community for something like that to happen. It just, you know, it kind of made your neck snap. Like, wait, what? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we're also kind of, caught in this thing where um freeport is while it's technically a city it's a very small city it's surrounded by very rural area which are traditionally conservative we know that um so yeah i I feel like a lot of times freeport is perpetually caught in that constant struggle of there may be some more progressive minded people out there who are trying to do good things but it's sort of it's definitely an uphill climb it's a real uphill climb to try and you know get anything passed get anything done um so what was what was the big hubbub? I'll get it rather than me trying to, you know, recount this. I'll I'll just go right to right to the source of it. So what was going on with this whole diversity council thing that just seemed like it was dead on arrival? Uh, I, I would disagree that it was dead on arrival. What what I would say is that uh, people were hopeful that they would do the right thing because they were doing it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's face it, the, the mayor had no uh, reason to do it, you know. Um, I think it's pretty clear for anybody that watches uh, your local politics uh, that the mayor has future political plans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if that's true, uh, I, I'm not sure what she was hoping to get out of, you know, forming the social justice committee, uh, because I think most reasonable people would indicate at this point that it's not social justice. Right. Uh, you know, if you're really in this for social justice, uh, you don't appoint, uh, you know, five people that are in the faith community as far as, you know, pastors are concerned. Uh, you don't appoint, you know, uh, a pastor who had recently shared racist, you know, po- posts on his Facebook. Uh, you don't do it in the course of ten days 
without getting input from the community beyond your own social circle, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so, you, you know, honestly, uh, you know, there's a lot of black folks around me uh, that I work with that, you know, think she appointed the socially acceptable blacks. Right? Oh, okay. You know, now, I, I'm not a spokesman for the black community. Right. I would never do so. <laughs> Uh, that's feedback that I've been given, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I can't say that I can argue with that, you know, viewpoint mm -hmm. uh, from what I've seen so far. Uh, now, that's not to say that there aren't some, uh, you know, awesome people on the committee, uh, because there is. Uh, but, you know, you can't, on one hand, as a uh, white people, say that cops are ruined by one or two bad apples, right? And then turn around and say your social justice committee is just fine even though there's one or two bad apples. Yeah. Right? You know, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh-huh. What, what was the story with this one pastor? You posted something on Facebook about that earlier yeah, in the yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, What was that craziness? Uh, so, essentially, yeah, it's one of the perks and the drawbacks to being so visible now mm -hmm. uh, is that everybody wants to tell you what they found. Right? Uh -huh. uh, you know, so I'm kind of a conduit now uh, for everything uh, good, bad, and ugly that happens in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, so somebody alerted me to the fact that uh, Pastor uh, Vandenberg, uh, actually, let me rephrase that. I don't even want to call him a pastor. Uh, Pat Vandenberg, who heads up a church here in the community, uh, had shared a, a, a long disproven uh, meme about Irish slavery. Oh, right? no, not you that know. one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, come that, on. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mean, come on. It's like six years old now, if not ten. Yeah. Uh, has been widely disproven. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's the same meme that originally surfaced. So it's not even like it had been turned into something else. Updated to make yeah, it more yeah. believable. No, right. No, it, it was the same thing. <laughs> uh, so when I was alerted to it, you know, the first thing was, okay, well, he's on the Social Justice Committee. So we went to his wall to try to reason with him. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, uh, since you're on the Social Justice Committee, you should know that this is false, right? Uh, you're, you're pushing a white supremacist agenda by sharing this. Mm -hmm. uh, to which he you know, came back and basically said, you, know, you can show me all the fact checks you want. Uh, I, I'm not rescinding what I believe to, to be true. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he stuck to his guns and essentially said, yeah, you know, because of my people, because he's Irish, uh, apparently, uh -huh. uh, because, you know, no, there's nothing like, you know, uh, heritage to, you know, tell us what really happened. Right. Just because, you, you know, our, our ancestors, you know, were uh Irish, we therefore understand everything that happened to the Irish, you know, like I'm German and British, but I, I'm no expert on, you know, what led to the German and the British, you know, uh, to become such empires. Well, and, you know, the crazy thing about it is that always struck me, and I think like a lot of people who are Caucasian and live here in America, we're, most of us are European mutts to some extent or another. I've got ancestors that beat the crap out of other ancestors all the way down the line. 
And the thing that always never even made sense to me about the whole Irish slave thing is like, let's like let's make a simplifying assumption that it's true. Like, let's just flip the book and say it's true. Who cares? Right. Why? Why does that matter? Right. You know, if my pe- if you know my Irish ancestors were enslaved by anybody, that doesn't impact how I'm treated in society today. Right. That has no bearing on the conversation right now. That's what I never understood about. Because when I first saw the meme, you know, um, anybody who knows me knows I'm, I'm a borderline certifiable idiot. That's fine. So it would be understandable for me to fall for that. So when I first saw it, I thought, oh, well, yeah, maybe that did happen. I don't know why we're talking about it. It doesn't make sense. Right. You know, why? how that comes into the conversation of Black Lives Matter and social justice in the United States today, there's no, it's pointless. Other than to deflect from the main issue and be like, well, you know, our people were enslaved hundreds of years ago, so you better shut up. You know, I, I don't in any way, shape, or form. So what if, if this is if these are his views then one would theorize these are the views that he would be bringing to this this justice committee right right yeah well i i don't know i, I mean it seemed odd to me that he would share such a thing five days before the first social justice committee meeting mm-hmm. uh, it seemed uh well timed to me if you're trying to send a message uh, of what social justice means to you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or he just wasn't taking it seriously at all, and, and frankly didn't give a damn. Right. Right. Uh, I I tend to believe at this point, now that I've publicly uh, demanded that he resign from the committee, uh, three or four times now, uh, I I tend to believe at this point he doesn't actually give a damn. Right. Right. Uh, because otherwise, you know. Uh, as a pastor in the community that says he's here to serve the community, uh, why hasn't he taken the responsibility to uh, correct the record, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, and let people in the black community specifically, but uh, the people of color in our community know that he made a mistake, you know, and that he was wrong. Uh, you know, I'm not a Christian, uh, I'm not a religious person, uh, but I respect good Christians and good, you know, religious people that adhere to the principles of their religion. Right. And not one of them do I know uh, that says you should deny responsibility for your actions. Mm-hmm. Not one of them. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Pat Vandenberg is doing at this time. Uh, he's denying responsibility for his actions. Uh, and he's, in my opinion... Uh, almost single-handedly responsible at this point uh, for uh, diminishing what the social justice committee could be about. Yeah, if this guy's on, I'm already not taking it seriously. Right. I, I got to be honest. What? So, what's the the social justice committee? Do they have like a charter, an aim, a mission, or is it? I mean, you tell me. Does it feel like it was started with good intentions, or is it started with the idea of pandering and padding a political resume? Or I think both. Okay. Right? You know, I, I mean, the, the, the frustrating part, you know, for me to, to just delve into a side issue for a second is that people believe politics is dirty, mm-hmm. right? Well, yeah, it, it is, but so is humanity, right? right? So is the world. You know, how did we get here? You know, we didn't get here because everything was, you know, bunnies and rainbows and fun, <laughs> right. right? You know, so that was the thing that I, I tried to impress upon people who, you know, 
uh, as I would try to rally the troops behind me to say, let's go fight City Hall, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I'd turn around and I'd be the only one in front of City Hall, right? <laughs> right. You know, like, oh, okay, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks for showing up. Uh, so, you know, that that was the the first thing is I always try to impress upon people that of course it's political. Mm-hmm. Um, to deny that it is uh, is to deny the truth. You know. If you're involved in government, uh, if you're involved in non-government organizations, if you're involved in leadership uh, of a company, uh, everything is political. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you're the you know uh, owner of one of the largest you know restaurants in town, uh, you're political. Right. Right. You want the city to do what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, otherwise, you become the second largest restaurant in town or the fifth largest restaurant in town. Right. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of people around here that still just deny that reality. Yeah. You know, everything's political. Uh, the sooner we stop the pretense of believing that it's not, right. the sooner we can all get back to the reality of the situation. Well, as soon as, as soon as there's more than one person in a room, there's politics. Right. You know, that's all there is to it. And we need to, I, I really feel like we need to stop with the idea that politics is bad. It really isn't. Dirty politics is bad. Shady right. politics is bad. Politics in and of itself. Um, for all of their, and you know this from us talking, uh, the amount of presidential in American history that you've read, um, the founding fathers, you know, for as many skeletons as they are in the closet, that aren't really in the closet anymore. We know right. about them. Um, for as much bad as came from that period, the system of government that they founded was 100% based on politics. It was based upon, it's supposed to be based upon debate and de- democracy. And, you know, of course, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't designed to have political parties. And unfortunately, right. that changed pretty darn quickly after the Constitution got ratified. But there's nothing wrong with having discussions and working with people, and I think, and I may be wrong about this, it's, it's entirely possible that I'm wrong about this, but I sort of feel like um, politics, especially in Freeport for a long time, was sort of like insulated within its own little club, and the majority of people in the community didn't really pay attention to it. It was just sort of like, whatever, we go about our lives, we've got, you know, we're already dealing with state politics you hear about, of course, the federal politics you hear it, it's always that that flip side where the majority of politics you hear about are federal national politics right. which don't impact you near as much as local politics does but local politics are also what you hear the less about of course not having really truly a local newspaper anymore right. plays into that and uh yeah in a small community like this i don't yeah it's, it's so bizarre it's only really been i want to say like the last three or four months that I got to admit, I've even started paying attention. Prior to that, it was kind of like, oh, geez, whatever. You right. know, I don't want to deal with it. But, you know, you, geez, probably, and you've gone through this ahead of everybody, but it sort of seems like once you start paying attention to it, then it just turns into a rabbit hole. Right. And then you just go down and down and down, and you're like, oh, my God, what is all this stuff? Right. And it's only between, like, you and Jody Koss and some other people in town who have started posting stuff between Indivisible and Voices um, that I've really been like, oh, my God, I can't believe all this crap is going on. Right here in this town, and I'm for all intents and purposes a lifelong Freeport resident. It's, it's really really crazy. Yeah. You know what? Uh, what kind of reception do you get going to these meetings? 
Are they kind of like, oh god, that guy's here again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you get that, but they, most of them don't have the guts to say that out loud. You get it from their looks, right? Okay. Uh, but but real quick, I I, I did want to finish that thought. Oh, I'm sorry. Vandenberg. No, no, I, I'm the one that got us off track. Uh, but yeah, I I I do believe that the formation of the social justice committee was political. I, I believe the reason for not removing him from the committee is political as well. Uh, you know, we live in this uh, crazy reality of conservatives now that, you know, they believe if you blink or if you say you were wrong, that it's the end of the world, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, conservatives just cannot change their mind anymore. Right. You know, they cannot admit that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it's crazy. Uh, and you see it again and again and again. Uh, and I think that's the, the loop we're currently stuck in with Vandenberg, because now it's not just me and you know several people in the community that are asking for his resignation or removal or an apology. Uh, there's actually two people on the committee now that have said he needs to be removed. Yeah. Right? Uh, but yet, that he's still there. Is he buddies with somebody in particular that we know of that got him there in the I, I first place? I can only place, tell you or? what I've been told. Uh, you know, I've been told that Jody Miller has attended his church. Uh, okay. But I, I've also been told Jody Miller attends a lot of churches. So I, I don't know if that's uh, more just her role in the community. Uh, you know... Uh, but there are a lot of unaffiliated churches here in Freeport. Now. Yeah. I don't know how much, you know, you or, you know, the people that listen to your podcast uh, know about that, but there's tons of them. Mm -hmm. Lots of unaffiliated church churches headed up by pastors uh, who weren't ordained through the normal process, right? They kind of got their own thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so... I. Pat Vandenberg's story should be inspiring. You yeah. Know? He's wrote a book, by the way. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, he killed somebody when he was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, he spent many years in prison. Uh, you know, he, I, I believe he told us he was a drug addict, right? Uh, you know, so he went through this horrific life and, and you know, that impacted another family and friends, you know, and he took somebody's life uh, and believes he reformed himself to become a pastor uh, and, and found God. And yet he's not at all grounded in the current reality that we're in. He believes the coronavirus is fake. Oh. You know, he, you know, tells of dreams that he's had about Donald Trump. Visions of Donald Trump have come to him. You know, that's the latest <laughs> post that somebody had to send me uh, to make people aware that, you know, this guy uh, does not belong on the social justice committee. You know, yeah. I, I try to refrain from making it personal. Um, but the bottom line is uh, somebody that is telling us that they're having visions sent to them by God about Donald Trump uh, and somebody that is, you know, saying he won't wear a mask uh, because it's not godly, does not belong on a social justice committee. Right. Yeah. That was that. Actually, that what you were talking about on Facebook. That's that's what I was was pulling up on my phone here. Because this stuff is just wow. It's wackadoodle. Yeah. <laughs>
And that's the nicest thing. I think. Yeah. And folks, I want to be honest here. I'm not paraphrasing. This is like 100% this man's own words. Now, tell me, tell me, because this guy's on the Freeport Social Justice Committee, right? Yeah. All right. There is a major conflict that will arise between the prophets. The true ones will expose the false ones. The false ones have overreached for titles and prestige. The true ones will use their God-given authority to bring change to the false ones who have been led astray. However, some false ones will not change, and then God will deal with them himself. What are we doing? Oh, my God. That's like... That's Benny Hinn stuff, you know. It, it's the craziest of the crazy. I had a dream where the Mississippi re began to flow backwards. Many spouts of water began to pop up inward to about 70 miles. I believe this was prophetic. The new spirit-led movements will begin to pop up from out of nowhere. Okay, I need help reacting to something here. Um, holy shit. What the hell? <laughs> that... that, that by the way, he's a pastor in a church right next to City Hall. Oh, oh, that new one that just started up? That's his church. Oh, man, yeah, that building was for sale last year. It was on sale for like $99,000. I wanted to buy it and turn it into a barbecue restaurant. Yeah, I yeah, thought it looked, would have looked pretty awesome. That would have been a bad move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible timing, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wow. Okay, so what... I'm sorry, I'm caught. I'm caught in this like yeah, perpetual it's, it's loop astounding. now. How would you define a like? Who is to say who's a false prophet and who isn't? That's that's the thing. So of course, anybody who says this assumes they're the correct prophet. Yeah. And anybody who opposes them is therefore a false prophet. Which yeah. basically, if you follow that logic train of thought, means that you can't disagree with them because if you disagree with them, you're a false prophet, and they've already made up their mind on some cosmic scale level that you just shouldn't be listened to and therefore your input is invaluable. And if you're telling us you're having visions, doesn't that mean you're envisioning yourself as a prophet? Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, I don't know. We've had some, you know, pretty big things happen in Freeport and Stevenson County over the last 150 years we've been a county. Uh, I don't know that I've ever known there was a prophet living here. No, no, this is a first. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's truly bizarre. Uh, you know, the, the, my, my take on that has always been, I don't like to give people like that, you know, my, my breath, my airtime, right? <laughs> uh, you know, but the bottom line is because this committee should be taken seriously. Right. Uh, that he has to go. Right. You know. Before it was apologize or go. Right. Right. Now it's just like no go. Yeah. You have to go. Right. You well, know? well, that's the thing is that if this if this gentleman if that if those want to be his views, you know, man, all the power to you. You know, I'm in no position to tell somebody what their religious beliefs should be. But when you're in a government committee, and that's the kind of stuff you're posting on social media, probably not the best fit for the chair. No, no. Right? No, not at all. <laughs> not, not at all. I mean, wow. That's the kind of crap that keeps me up at night, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, and we have it, you know, it, it's 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 not isolated here in Stevenson County. Oh, no. These viewpoints are, are much more prevalent yeah. uh, than people believe they are mm -hmm. in our community here. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I felt like I needed to step forward uh, to take action in our community 
uh, to save the, you know, even though, you know, I, I was a closeted kid and, you know, uh, kind of terrified of this place that I grew up <laughs> in as a kid because of, you know, who I was internally, uh, you know, I had a lot of good times here as a kid, mm -hmm. you know, with my family and friends and, you know, at Taylor Park, uh, you know, which was the highlight of my schooling career, right? <laughs> Taylor Park Grade School, right. the highlight. Yeah. Once I hit Carl Sandburg, it was all downhill. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, pretty idyllic, you know, mm -hmm. even though I grew up in a, you know, relatively poor family in the Fourth Ward, you know, uh, you know, it, it was still a lot of good times, a lot of playing baseball and, you know, uh, you know, just amazing times. Uh, so maybe I was dense to it because I was so young when I left here and, you know, I, I was a, a pretty good drunk around here before I did leave. Uh, so I didn't really pay attention to a lot, you mm -hmm. know, politically. Uh, but it's not the community that I remember at all. Uh, it's not the family I grew up in. Uh, and it's certainly not the circle of friends that I had, you know, before I left here permanently. Um, so when I noticed that, along with, you know, a lot of other things, uh, I said something has to be done about this. Somebody has to alert our community mm -hmm. uh, that there is this growing, uh, I, I attach it to, and, and this is an entire another, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> podcast probably, but I, I, there's this growing affinity to prosperity gospel mm -hmm. uh, in this community. Okay. Uh, a lot of the newer churches here are attached directly to prosperity gospel. What is that? Uh, prosperity gospel is essentially that if you uh, pray for businesses and you pray for economic growth and you just really work hard, uh, and uh, part of it is also lifting up men, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because men are oppressed now, if you're listening <laughs> to conservatives, right? Uh, it's all attached to, it's this uh, lash back from uh, progressive movements in churches, yeah. right? Uh, progressive movements within uh, the ideological movement within churches, right, mm -hmm. that are becoming more progressive. So the Catholics and the Presbyterians and all of, all of the mainstream churches that have become more progressive over the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, their membership is way down, yeah. right? Uh, because people just started to step away from going to church. Uh -huh. Well, what's that? What that's led to is a huge uh, boon in people starting their own churches. Yeah. Right? Uh, so you know, I view uh, a lot of these churches that are popping up in town, and this is probably you know now I'm going to get the hate mail like never. Before, uh, for, for broaching this one but you know I believe it's all part of the problem that we face here mm -hmm. is that these uh, ideologically conservative churches with rather repressive views on homosexuality uh, poor people even you know I, yeah I, can you imagine you're going to hell for being right? poor how, yeah how can you call something prosperity gospel I thought right. the entire reason for religion was to help the poor. Right. You know, that's what I was raised to believe. Yeah. Uh, so here we are. We have this entire sect that's springing out of Christianity and, uh, you know, the, the, the more conservative 
uh, you know, Christians from the South, of course, that, you know, helped get us to this point where we elected Trump, uh, you know, where we now have something called prosperity gospel. Uh, and and for, for those people out there listening, uh, Joel... Uh, Osteen or Osteen. Osteen right. Yeah, Joel that, Osteen that guy. is uh, the epitome of prosperity gospel. Yeah. You know, if you, if you need an example, uh, that's kind of what they're getting at there. Well, and it's such easy salesmanship. You know, all that stuff. Anybody with charisma can get up on a microphone and just, you know, say the words that, oh, you know, God's out there. He believes in you. He trusts in you. You just got to keep praying. Good things will come to you. Please send me $5. Thank you very much. And before you know it, you got a church that's worth a billion dollars, but you won't let people in during a natural disaster. You know what I mean? That's that's like the most mind-boggling thing to me about all that. And it kind of becomes the, you know, I, I can't help think about it every single time. Was it Gandhi who said that, he liked Christ but didn't like Christians because right. Christians were nothing like Christ. Yeah. And I always, I don't know if you had this, but I sort of had that thing being, I was raised a Catholic. And when I was a kid, I kind of had this, I think like most kids, a very idealistic view of Jesus and of God and of religion that, you know, the point was, was to be a good person and to help people. And then the older you get and you realize that it's just kind of a facade that's painted over something underneath. Right. You know, that I want to say I was like 12 or 13 when I just had like the huge mental break with it when we were we were um, we were living in Winnebago and my family and I we were attending a, a very small parish in Rockford on extremely poor side of town. And <clears throat> the church, excuse me, had had a food pantry for people in that community. And it didn't matter if you were Catholic or not. Like if you needed food, you came and there was food that was donated here. And the diocese was closing down the pantry for financial reasons, while at the same time the Rockford Diocese was building a new headquarters that had to be built in such a way so that the bishop had his own private elevator from his own private garage to his office. And I remember mentally thinking, what? Like, explain to me how this makes any sense whatsoever. What What's the point of all this? You know, I, I, I'm getting off on a side topic here, but did you see the thing where it was like the... Um, the church, like the Catholic Church in particular, took in something like one point five billion dollars, yeah. and those and taxpayer funded coronavirus relief program. I mean, if there is anything in the world that wouldn't have the founding fathers spinning in their graves, it would be that. Right. Well, I mean, among many other things, yeah, but but the the whole notion of you know the separation of church and state is that was exactly it. Is that and the majority of them were Christians. They were different Christians than we have today. The Christian, and I'm sure you probably know this, but you know your Thomas Jefferson, your George Washington, your John Adams, your Alexander Hamiltons. They were they were more deists. The more the idea is that. You know, God created the world like a clockmaker and then turned it on and just sits back and watches. Doesn't get involved in day-to-day lives. Right. You, you know, it's self-determination. You're on your own to make what kind of man you are. Of course, for some of them, it was easy when you inherited a several million dollar plantation. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where did we start? <laughs> How did this get started? <laughs> oh, Pat Vandenberg. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've got a. I'm not going to say her name, but I've got a cousin who's just like that. Right. Just like that. I mean, we've known each other, we're cousins, we've known each other since birth, but um, I want to say it was like three, four years ago, she unfriended me on Facebook for politely taking her to task on a few subjects, but, you know, it was that kind of thing, she, uh, and yeah, and she was raised Catholic, and at some point, I don't know, she met her husband, and they went 
something, but they moved to Florida specifically because God told her to in a dream. Right. She got a dog because God specifically told her to in a dream. She got a Hello Kitty case for her iPhone because God told her to in a dream. That's very specific. Yeah, but out of that, I'm the crazy I, one. I mean, so. I could use that kind of day-to-day life. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus, what do I wear today? And he's like, those right. shoes. Oh, like, good. Tell me where to sign up with this newsletter <laughs> right. because I, I, I could use it, right? Right. I, yeah. Is this a smart stock to invest in? I need to know, you know? <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm, t- I'm sorry. I just keep getting blown away the, with this whole day, idea of this social justice committee. And at the time, it sort of felt like I think the, my initial knee-jerk reaction to it when I heard about it was good because this was right when, you know, the George Floyd thing had happened. And, right. you know, I had this, like, very brief hope that maybe this was a good thing. Maybe right. this was a city government in a small city beginning to look forward and beginning to look at ways to deal with this because Freeport, I don't know the exact numbers, maybe you do, the African-American percentage in Freeport. It's about 17%. It's about 17%. And that's a little bit more than most communities. And that's projected, of course, with, you know, 2018 numbers. Yeah. Uh, We won't know those numbers for sure again until after the 2020 census. But it's estimated at about 17%. Okay. Uh, and then about 8% is other, right? Mm-hmm. Hispanic, uh, Asian. Uh, so about 25% of our community is made up of uh, people of color. Right. I'll bet the, I would be willing to guess, as much as I've spent years and years and years driving all over this county, I would have to imagine the, the vast majority of minorities in this county are within the city. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know. Uh, some some people of color have started to filter into other communities, uh, at, you know, and as with my family, you know, uh, color has started to filter into our families as well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it, it's, you know, uh, people talk a lot about the melting pot when it comes to immigration, you know. Uh, the true melting pot at this point is the integration of our, uh, you know, are different colors within our country, mm-hmm. right? That's where, you know, the, the the real melting pot is starting to begin or has been underway for quite some time now. Uh, and it's actually happening more in communities like ours than it is in, you know, major cities like Chicago, which are still vastly segregated. Right, right? yeah, big time. Uh, here, uh, you know, it's kind of ironic because due to the lack of the city taking care of the third ward at all, oh. our city is becoming oh, more God. integrated. Yeah. Right. Uh, not the way that we wanted it to happen, though. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Uh, so because of that, you know, uh, we are becoming more diverse. Uh, you know, you uh, notice when you're driving down, you know, my street, Valley View, uh, and there are people of color there. Mm-hmm. Because 30 years ago, you wouldn't have seen any people of color in that neighborhood. Right, right? yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's interesting that, you know, uh, we kind of live in that segregated mindset here, mm-hmm. even though it's not technically true here anymore. Yeah. But what is true is that the segregated folks that still live in the third and fourth wards especially 
uh, still don't get any support from our community. No. None. None. You know, uh, I, I'd love to know, I, I wasn't here for it, but when it came to the flooding issues and, you know, all the people that were showing up to, you know, talk to the city manager and the city about it, uh, I can guarantee, even though I wasn't there, uh, and there were, you know, 80 to 100 people showing up for those meetings, I guarantee 99% of them were people of color, mm -hmm. you know, black folks in yeah. that, you know, community. Uh, the, the white people from the west side of town didn't show up at those meetings. Right. That's a problem. Yeah. You know, and we need to start uh, talking loudly about those problems. Well, it felt, God, when that happened, it was like the almost entire third ward was underwater. Right. It was just my, uh, my father-in-law lives over there. And he ended up staying with us for a good week and a half just because he got where he couldn't even get to his place, you know, unless he had a canoe. And even then, they, the police weren't letting people through. They were like, no, you're just going to have to wait till the water goes down. And, you know, it, it looks like finally now they've got, you know, something rolling with a plan to deal with that, which their plan is to just buy everybody's property and level it and turn it into a giant floodplain. But at the time, I felt so frustrating because I was like, oh, my God, if this had happened in Cherokee Hills... They'd have had a plan to deal with it the next day. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, yeah. They would have sold the golf course to save Cherokee. Yeah. Right, yeah. They would have sold both of them. Right. You know, Quick Park would be gone right. if that had happened in Cherokee Hill. Yeah. Uh, you know, there would have been nothing to stop them. Mm -hmm. uh, but what they did uh, for the Third Ward uh, is they said, this fits our long-term plan to get rid of the Third Ward anyway. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. You know? That was essentially what they told us is we don't care. Yeah. You know, and now here we are. Uh, Taylor Park is gone now. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, this school that, you know, is probably one of the fondest memories I have of growing up here uh, because I, you know, now that I'm, you know, 48 years old or, you know, close to 49. Uh, and I think about how my mind works now. Uh, especially when it comes to issues of race, uh, you know, I'm much more comfortable uh, with issues of race and talking bluntly about them than a lot of white folks are around here. And I credit the fact that I went to Taylor Park mm -hmm. with part of that. Yeah. Right? Uh, <clears throat> because it introduced me to diversity at an early age where I was actually uh, one of the few, you know, white kids uh, compared to, you know, a school like over here on, you know, Empire School, where it was the exact opposite back in, back in that time. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, or just the fact that, you know, a lot of us were bussed in uh, to Taylor Park from other wards uh, that made it more diverse uh, than the other schools were. Mm -hmm. Well, and that has so much to do with it. The um, I've come to find that a lot of times the more exposure you have especially as a child or throughout your life you know and this can go with races this can go with other political ideas everything that it has such a huge bearing on it my grandfather um was an absolutely massive racist i mean just racist is all get out and i'm not excusing that in any way shape or form but he lived in a community that was pretty much 100 percent white had been for generation upon generation he was a coal miner and the only exposure that he ever had to African-Americans is when 
the coal union was on strike and the coal company would bus in Southern blacks to work in the mines. That was his only exposure in his life to African-Americans. So therefore, I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's right, but you can yeah. sort of understand how this view sort of right. filters in. Think of them as staff. Yeah, and right. so to him, that's all they were, you know. Um, I, it was always hilarious to me. He was always, he was a, he lived outside, you know, a couple hours outside Pittsburgh. Um, so he was a huge Steelers fan, a huge Pittsburgh Pirates fan. And it was funny to me how if they had a player who was black, that wasn't an issue. Right. Because they weren't black, they were a Stealer, yeah. they yeah. were a Pirate. You well, know, and, just... Yeah, and Franco Harris <laughs> turns a lot of people away from being a racist, or right. at least outwardly racist. Yeah, Franco yeah. Harris did that to a lot of people. Yeah, you know, I did think it was funny, I just not just a few months ago I was having a conversation with my mom about that, we were having a conversation, because it was her dad, um, we were having this conversation, and she had said to me, she said, you know, Towards the later end of his life, there was at one point in time we were driving and there was like a, a, a couple of African-American kids who were on a corner or something like that. And she said, we drove by and he just kind of said, you know, some of those kids never had a chance, did they? And my mom said for him, that was like insanely progressive for that to even begin to break through right. that sort of higher thought process. Of, just like you were saying, rather than just looking at them as pieces of shit, no matter what. And, you know, the only time you ever come into this community is to cause problems, you know. But there, there's a lot of times I wonder, it'll be interesting to get your thoughts on this. There are, and I think we see this sometimes with the blowback to stuff like BLM and the pushback. I think there are a lot of, because there, there's a difference between, I think, like conscious racism and subconscious racism. I think there's a definite difference. There are those who are like outwardly open, KKK, neo-fascist, like blatant, have put a lot of thought into the fact that they are white and are therefore superior. Then there are people who are, to some degree, racism probably don't even realize it. I'm I'm of the full belief that every single person is racist. It's just how much, you know. I think it's something that everybody can work on. It's something that anybody out there can get better on. Um, and so I've known people who, while they would definitely would be the first to say that the KKK is bad, neo Nazis are bad, racism is bad. On some level, they're still maybe partially subconscious, subconsciously racist, and that's why stuff like BLM makes them uncomfortable. You know what I mean? They don't like feeling like they're wrong. I think a lot of times those people, if they were to just take an opportunity to step back and think about it and just sort of apply some deeper thought to it, I don't think there'd be as much pushback as there is. Right. Does any of that remotely make sense? Well, to, to me, uh, here, here's what I've, I've learned, and, and this is how I now attack this issue. And I, I use the word attack for a, a purpose. Uh, I don't really care about their sensibility. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Uh, I, I no longer care. Mm -hmm. If you're sensitive about issues of race as a white person, uh, you know, quite frankly, you can kiss my ass real quick. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Your sensibilities no longer matter because guess what? You have sense. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're able to sit there and justify your sensibilities, you have the sense uh, that your God gave you uh, to reason with yourself, mm -hmm. right? Because you've now given yourself the ability to reason about why you don't like Black Lives Matter or why defund the police is offensive to you, mm -hmm. right? If you've got the ability to do that. I don't want to hear about your sensibilities about any of that. Right. Right. You know full well what the other side is doing. Mm -hmm. You know what we're fighting for. You know full well that Black Lives Matter does not mean that no other lives matter. Right. You know full well that defund the police does not mean get rid of the police. Mm -hmm. So to them, 
I, I'm unapologetic now as a white person and saying, shut up. Right. I don't want to hear it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we have an opportunity of a generation, if not multiple generations, uh, to make substantial changes in this country that don't come around very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the last time we faced anything like this was 1918, right? Where we had a pandemic, uh, a financial crisis that came out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and yes, we were facing civil unrest at the time as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was a lot, a lot of it was geared towards the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, another story about how I kind of came into all of this here is Indivisible, uh, back in January, started a film series. Uh, at their meeting uh, on plutocracy, right? So we had the great uh, fortune, uh, it could be a misfortune, uh, but we had the great fortune of watching this, you know, eight to 10 part series on plutocracy right into the pandemic, right? Well, like we still haven't finished it because the pandemic started <laughs> when the last episode was ready to be viewed. Uh, so those of us in Indivisible kind of had a preview Uh, to what we were being pushed into with the pandemic, uh, the economic fallout, and the civil unrest that kind of came out of all of that, and the absolute crazy uh, reality that the NASDAQ stock market is at record highs right now, right? (laughs) Yeah. 10,400 or 500 record highs, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and one other are now all trillion-dollar-plus companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're now starting to project on which one of the people who invented those companies will become the first trillionaire, mm-hmm. right? So here we are. We take this back to 1918, a pandemic hit. We had the same situation as now where a good portion of society just wanted to ignore it. Right. We had anti-mask society back then. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Philadelphia was devastated by it because they ignored it and held a parade. Well, look, look what we have happening in Florida, Texas, and Arizona now. It's outrageous. Uh, You know, yeah. So then we get out of the pandemic and we go right into what we are all told was the roaring 20s, right? Right. Now, what does the Roaring Twenties mean? Mm -hmm. In our minds, even the way we were taught about it in our little blip in, you know, history class in high school. Yeah. uh, You know, because let's face it, they don't tell us what really happened there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in our minds, we're told that it was just great. It was a great decade for everybody. Everybody was partying and dancing and drinking booze. And, you know, know, they they invented the Foxtrot. How could it not have been a great decade, (laughs) right? Uh, Or whatever the, you know, dances were. Uh, the Foxtrot was probably well before then. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so here we are, we're, we're going through the 20s, and in our mind, we're told that it was a great decade, that it was roaring, that, you know, uh, financial success was wonderful. But meanwhile, what they don't show us under the hood is that unions were being busted. Oh, big uh, time. The Pinkertons and, you know, 
uh, all of these other things we think of security companies now were actually, you know, big union buster organizations. Right, they were yeah. privately hired cops, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's where Pinkerton and uh, the other one, I can't think of it right now off the top of my head. You know, basically these organizations were formed as private police forces by companies. Yeah. You know, yeah. Standard Oil and all of the big, you know, oil oh, companies yeah. and all of the big corporations back then formed what is now our police forces or the people that cart their money around now in the back of their armored truck. Right, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, union workers who dared to stand up for their rights were being, you know, killed left and right. Disappearing. Yeah, yeah. that's the Roaring Twenties, mm -hmm. right? Blood was flowing in our streets. Well, it was, it was the Roaring Twenties for like the top percentile in America. Right. They were having an amazing time. So look how similar yeah. of a situation we, we are actually, you know, yeah. we're a little behind because, you know, we didn't have our pandemic until the Roaring Twenties started. Uh, but we're, we're facing the exact same situation. Mm -hmm. You know, our stock market is about to take off. If you watch the stock market at all, you can feel it. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You can feel it getting ready to do something that it just shouldn't be allowed to do right now right. In, the, in the situation that we're in. Uh, so here we are, we're, we're facing another decade that could potentially be the Roaring Twenties. We have these huge plutocratic companies that control so much of our society, and not just here nationally, but around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and they're getting bigger. You know, we now have five or six trillion dollar companies when just six months ago or eight months ago, uh, it, it was celebrated that we had our first trillion dollar company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so here we are. Uh, we're, we're facing that and the civil unrest, uh, you know, it's just this time it isn't centered around uh irish or italian you know labor workers right it's centered around the way that uh black people in our society are treated mm -hmm. you know uh so we have a we have a history lesson here to go from we already know how this plays out right so that's what i say to the social justice committee is stop pretending we don't know what this is right stop pretending we don't already have a plan Mm -hmm. uh, stop pretending that we need to find answers. Mm -hmm. You know, no, the, the answers are already out there. So why are we belaboring the point and pretending that we have to have uh, listening sessions and uh, uh, committee meetings and talk about it? You know, read a damn book, Jody Miller. Right. You know, read a book that doesn't fit your life view. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, read a book. Pat Vandenberg that doesn't tell you the Irish were slaves just like black people. Right. You know, uh, because those books, uh, just like the plutocracy series that we had the fortune of watching leading into this, uh, show us that we're repeating mistakes that were already made, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and that there's a better way to do that. And that's why uh, I showed up at City Hall, you know, and that's why I said it's time uh, to uh, make an end run around the, the faith community, uh, the, the, the feckless Democratic Party, uh, and the community leaders that I've tried to work with in the last six or seven months that have been around for a very long time. But they're all bitter. Yeah. They're all mad. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
they all want to tell you as you're doing things, oh, that's not going to work. Yeah. You know, that, I've tried that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so that's why we started building this coalition out of people that said, I don't want to hear that anymore. Right. We're going to show up. Uh, we're we're going to show up and we're going to demand uh, things that we know are right. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so I- anyway, that's kind of how another part of the history of how we ended up here. I say history, but it's like six months. Right. right? <laughs> you know, uh, it's been the longest and shortest six months in my life. You know. Do you think a lot of the uh, the angry folks that you refer to, do you think that's people who have just been in the job too long and are kind of jaded and just sort of it's rigid? And, and... Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. It's not even that they've been in the job. A lot of them gave up the job, you know, as far as, you know, working within our uh, government or, you know, our community infrastructure that makes things run. A lot of them gave it up a long time ago, and now all they do is kind of yell from the sidelines, right? Oh, uh, okay. You know, and I don't have a problem with yelling. Uh-huh. I, I think it's cathartic, and I yeah. think uh, it's a good way to build a movement, mm-hmm. right? One of the reasons I think I have the support that I do in the community, and, and you know, it, it sounds egotistical to say that, uh, but I get phone calls all day now. Okay. Uh, I get messages on Facebook every single day. Uh, I get phone calls, I get text messages, I get messages on, you know, uh, Facebook live videos. Uh, you know, I had never been to juniors before today. Okay. Uh, and I had three people walk up to me and say, Hey, are you Carl? Uh-huh. Uh, that tells me I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Right. For sure. It tells me that people, the reason I, I, I coaxed, uh, people into this uh, and I, I won't say who I coaxed, I think you know, they can speak for themselves, uh, is I'm like, no, people need to know that there's somebody willing to stand up for them and, and uh, run out to the front lines and, and take a few hits for them, mm-hmm. right? Until they realize that there's somebody out there willing to do that, right. they won't show up, yeah. right? Because they, they, they've already lost everything, right. you know, or, or they feel they've got nothing to gain out of it mm-hmm. because they're already working their, you know, a ten hour job, ten hour a day job for you know nine, ten bucks an hour and barely surviving, and they've got you know some you know slumlord in Freeport is their you know landlord, uh, and the city wants to you know uh, tax their you know their cupcake company, you mm-hmm. know uh, <laughs> you know just silly silly stuff like that that impacts anybody that wants to to get uh, a leg up. Mm-hmm. In our community, right? Uh, and that always ignores the fact that our community, the people that already run it, the people that already have businesses that are well established, uh, and the frankly, the, the organizations like the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, uh, the NGOs, the non government organizations like United Way and all the other ones that exist around here, uh, they are all supporting the same people okay right so yeah we have a soup kitchen mm-hmm. but guess what if you have to go to a soup kitchen you want more than soup mm-hmm. right you want the ability to not have to rely on the soup kitchen anymore yeah you want an opportunity to get yourself out of the soup kitchen line right uh so you know I, i'll i'll kind of segue myself uh so that 
question in all of this work that we were doing is kind of what brought me to the point of, well, wait a minute, why is everything we're doing failing? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I'm a pretty successful organizer. I'm a great salesperson. I've, I've made a, a, a great living in my life from being a salesperson. Why is the tried and true not working here, right? Uh, and, and what it came down to is that the local Democratic Party was feckless, right? It was useless. Uh, it didn't do anything, mm-hmm. you know. So when we were showing up at uh, government meetings, uh, county board meetings and committee meetings and uh, showing up at city council meetings, uh, that work should have went into my party, the Democratic Party, and there should have been press releases and there should have been, you know, uh, campaigns of writing letters to the editor and, and calling our representatives and, you know, uh, calling Andrew Chesney and Brian Stewart and saying, we demand that you get involved in these things and fix them. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, out of 40 elected positions in the county of Stevenson, uh, only nine of them were held by Democrats, mm-hmm. right? So I started to ask myself some questions there, and I started to ask our local Democratic leadership, uh, why is this? And I kept getting the same answer. Oh, the, it's just, this is Republican land. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this is conservative here. You know, Meanwhile, I'm out doing the work in the community and meeting all these people, and... I'm meeting progressives left and right and yeah. meeting even moderate people that are like, oh, I don't care that you're a gay atheist, yeah. right? Oh, yeah, I get along with liberals, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, none of this makes sense. Yeah. You know, first, and then we started to look into the statistics of the elections and see that, you know, yes, Democrats win the city of Freeport eight out of the last 10 elections when it was, you know, uh, uh, congressional, uh, senator, uh, governor, president, you know, uh, Democrats would win the city of Freeport. So then I started asking questions of the Democratic leadership, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, it doesn't matter uh, if it's your side or the other side. When you start asking questions of people in power uh, that have done nothing with that power, uh, they get offended. Yeah. Right. They tell you that you're, uh, well, geez. I, I've now I've been now called more names by our local Democrats <laughs> than I have by the Republicans, right? Okay. Uh, you know I've been called a bully. Uh, you know I, I I I've been called it all, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and what it comes down to is I was just willing to stand up and say this isn't working the way that it should work. Yeah, yeah. Well, at that point in time, you got to ask yourself if you're if you're in a leadership position in a in a party like that. Are you in that position because you want to affect change or just because that's the position you found yourself in and now you don't want to lose it? Right. You know what I mean? And I think you're absolutely right. I think a lot of times, a lot of people, a lot more than I think people realize, want change. Everybody wants things to get better. We're going to sometimes disagree on which way that's going to go. Um, but, you know, anytime, I think a lot of times people, when they're not aware that there's a bigger group or bigger community or a bigger movement involved in that, you just feel like you'd be going it alone and probably 99% of the time you're going to fail. Right. That's why I think movements are so great because all of a sudden all these other people start saying, you know what, I've always 
I've always kind of been pissed about that too. Right. You know, so that's really that's that's really really awesome. What isn't there some weird thing in Freeport where like the Republican and Democratic Party aren't allowed by law or something weird like that? No, it's, it's not at all a law. Okay. It's just assumed that it is. So a uh, long time ago, and I, I you know, honestly haven't had the time to research it yet, but we're, the, the voice of Freeport is definitely going to look into this and, mm-hmm. and get to the bottom of it. But a long time ago, uh, they formed two new parties in Freeport called the Citizens Party and the People's Party, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and essentially, the, the idea that we're told uh, is that it was done to take politics out of politics. Okay. Right? You know, so there we go. We're back yeah. at the beginning of our conversation there where everything's political, <laughs> right? right? So already we know we're being sold a bill of goods, right? Yeah. yeah. That apparently we didn't figure out until just recently, you know. Uh, and I knew that that existed when I was younger, uh, but I wasn't involved locally enough when I was younger in my 20s and late teens uh, to have figured out why that would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, without looking into it, my theory is that this was probably proposed by Republicans. Okay. Right? Uh, because Republicans know full well that most cities of decent size are Democratic. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So my theory is, is that Republicans formed these two new political parties to confuse the, the, the local people. To be Republicans with just a different right. name. You know, because now what happens is we have the People's Party and the Citizens Party. And it's been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody that runs for city government identifies with either one of them. Yeah. By the way, there's no People's Party uh, website. Mm-hmm. There's no Citizens Party website. Right. There's no party apparatus. There's no dues or fees. Uh, there, there's not even a Facebook group. Mm-hmm. One of them has a Facebook group. You know, you know how enough people search for something on Facebook? It auto-generates Facebook it. its own group, right? <laughs> One of them has a group like that with 62 followers. Okay. Right, that, that I followed as well just to see if there was ever activity there. Yeah. Uh, only one of them, though. Oh. Right. Only one of those parties has a Facebook group that Facebook auto-generated yeah. because 50 people happened to search for it on right. Facebook. No blood and flesh human it's, being started that group. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what we have are a bunch of local politicians, cities, right, uh, that will flip back and forth between those two parties, right? So what the hell? Now we don't know. What What are you, Jody Miller? Are yeah. you a people's party or are you a citizen's party? Yeah. Oh, that's just for the election. You know, it, it, that's not what she said to me. But that's basically the response that we get from people is, oh, that's just for the election. It doesn't really matter. Well, then why do we have it? Well, of course it matters. Right. You know? Like, we want to know, are you more left-leaning or more right-leaning? That's right. kind of what voters want to know. And if I'm a Democrat... Why isn't my party running people as Democrats? Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Especially when eight out of the last ten elections, just in the city proper, went to Democrats who were running here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, Nick Hyde won Freeport, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Durbin won Freeport. Uh, Sherry Bustos wins Freeport. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tammy Duckworth wins Freeport. Yeah. J.B. Pritzker wins Freeport. When you take that out to the county, yeah, they lose the county once in a while, but 
that just means we're missing the only power we have available to us in Freeport. Yeah. The Democratic Party, right? So how I kind of processed this was I, I'm missing the one thing that is easy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Democratic Party. The, you know, or as I said to, you know, my, my brethren that, you know, I was trying to rally around this idea, it's the goddamn Democratic Party of the United <laughs> States of America, yeah. right? You, you know, what, what other name do you have here locally that can be as good as that? Right. You know, indivisible, great. We've done great work as indivisible but it's not a political party, mm -hmm. right? And it still doesn't have the same name recognition uh, that the Democratic Party of the goddamn United States has, right? right? You know, so I'm like, we're, we're missing the boat. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the name already. It's the Democratic Party, mm -hmm. you know? So we need to let people know that we're proud Democrats and that we're fighting for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that led to me uh, putting together a proposal uh, for the Democratic leadership in the entire Central Committee. I uh, put together this nice deck, right, you know, uh, that it was titled The Reinvigoration of the Democratic Party. Uh, but all I got out of that were answers on why I thought it needed reinvigorated. How rude it was to me for me to think that it needed to be reinvigorated. Okay. Yet nobody had the idea before I showed up right. to run people as Democrats in a democratic city, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so in, anyway, I put this deck together, gave the presentation, and it was it, it was essentially maligned before I even got halfway through. It, yeah. Right? I I was just you know. Uh, I, I, it was basically just panned as mm -hmm. no, 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 we can't do something like that here. Right. You know, but when essentially all the Democratic Party had done leading up to that uh, was had a chili supper every year and had shown up to help local candidates when they did run. Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't run anybody for city elections, right? We didn't run anybody for county elections unless they ran themselves. Uh, and typically, the only people the, the Democratic Party leadership got behind were people that ended up running against our allies, right? <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. You know, so as I'm having all these phone conversations of people like, oh, yeah, yeah, they, they backed this person that ran against, you know, this person. You know, mm -hmm. I, I won't give names because I, I think anybody that runs for office uh, deserves recognition right mm -hmm. it, it's a tough decision to make uh you know so i don't think it's important who it was there what i think is important there is that the democratic leadership uh didn't do something to prevent that dichotomy from happening yeah right that there was no real leadership involved in allowing it to unfold the, the way that it did allowing local people that are on the same side to end up directly opposed mm -hmm. because of a political race. You know, our job as Democrats and leadership uh, in the community is to make sure we're opposing the right people. Right, right? yeah. You know, meanwhile, well, we have 11 or eight Republican county board members up for re-election in November that we have nobody running against. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <sighs> So why are they here? 
I think feckless was the right word. I think yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. you nailed it with that. Well, and, and just to give an update on that, I'm sure you know uh, some people know this, but uh, I called for, I demanded leadership change back in May after our election. Uh, you know, that led nowhere but to silence. I called for leadership change again in June. Uh, and then finally I launched the voice of Freeport uh, and that was my first commentary demanding for change of leadership and mm -hmm. for Lou Cook, the chair, to step down. Uh, she has done that. Uh, you know, four other people resigned uh, from Democratic Party leadership uh, over the course of the last three weeks or so as well. Uh, but there's a long way to go. You know, we need local support yeah. uh, for people to step forward and say, uh, no. We're not just going to let you remain in the leadership of the Democratic Party because that's what the bylaws say you get to do. Right. We need to change the way our party operates in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where we're at right now. Uh, I could bore you with all the details, but frankly, they're even boring to me. <laughs> um, I, I would just say to people uh, that if you're interested in a stronger Democratic Party, uh, reach out to myself or any of the precinct committee people mm -hmm. uh, and get involved, you know, uh, because little did I think six months ago when I got involved in, you know, saving Walnut Acres uh, that I would be trying to change the leadership of the Democratic <laughs> Dismantle party. the party in this community. Right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my thought was I was going to be out there opposing Republicans. Yeah. You know, like any good Democrat uh -huh. would. Uh, and continuing to hammer our community leaders that are mostly Republican yeah. because we don't have a strong Democratic Party. Well, it seemed to me that if you had a Democratic Party in Freeport in this community that was operating the way it should, when something like you or like um, Indivisible or Voices pops up, that would be something that would get you excited. That'd be like, here's another ally, here's another... Thing that can help rejuvenate and br perhaps bring more people into our fold. Yeah. Instead, it was almost oppositional reaction to it. Oh yeah, like, yeah. I, like I said, I've been called more names by some of the leaders in the Democratic Party than I've been called by any of the Republicans. Well, you're rocking the boat. At, at least uh, publicly. Yeah. Is, you know, <laughs> uh, you know I, I'm sure there's quite a few Republicans around here that don't like me either. That's gonna uh, make you feel good. But. They're also worried because we're trying to wake up the Democratic Party. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Uh, they've had a free ride around here for a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and that's my call to people. And that's what I say when I talk to people about why I'm doing this, because I'm sending a goddamn warning to the Republican Party. Right. Uh, their, their free ride is over as far as I see it. Uh, you know. I'm, I'm demanding that we change this because it's the only way we can beat uh, the people that have been in charge to allow it to get to this point, mm -hmm. right? If you don't like how your city is run, there's only one party to blame, right. the Republican Party. They're in charge of it, despite their label, right? Yeah. Uh, despite their citizens or people's party label, Jody Miller has run as both, mm -hmm. right? Uh, many of the council members on the city council now have ran as both of those parties, the citizens and the peoples. Uh, if you're upset about your county board and the way the county is ran, there's only one party that has ran that county board for a very long time. Mm -hmm. It's the Republican Party. Uh, so uh, 
yes, I, I blame a, a, a weak Democratic Party for allowing that to happen. But if you're upset, actually, by the way things have gone, there's only been one party in power for a long time. Right. Right? So the only way we're going to change that is to build up the party we belong to. Mm-hmm. Right? And to do that, we can't allow uh, the lack of leadership to continue. There's this huge vacuum uh, that is ready to be filled. Yeah. When, when we started this and when we first realized how bad it was, uh, and by the way, I realized how bad it was when I saw that only eight people ran on the ballot to become precinct committee people in Stevenson County. Mm-hmm. Eight out of 40. Eight out of 40 precincts. Yeah. By the way, in 2016, that was 10. In 2018, that was 9. And 2020, it was 8. Jeez. Right? So on the wrong trajectory, uh, completely. Uh, so when I saw that, then I looked into the bylaws, or I, actually I looked at state law because I didn't even know how a Democratic Party chair was elected at mm-hmm. that time. Right, you know, as long as I've been in politics, I never knew it. Uh, so when I looked it up, I, what I found is that only the elected precinct committee people that were elected in the March primary could vote on who the chair of the party would be in April when we have our county convention. Uh, really? Right? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Only the elected precinct committee people. So it's like eight people right now yeah and, and if you take the chair out seven. Oh, right yeah yeah oh. so as soon as i saw that i'm like well wait a minute that means if the chair doesn't do their job and recruit new people into the party to run for precinct committee people they're likely just going to be surrounded by people who like the job that they're yeah. doing or are comfortable with it mm-hmm. right? uh and again we go back to the small town uh uh, mindset that if you speak up and speak out, you're upsetting your neighbors in a way, right? You yeah. Know, because you're all so closely, you know, connected. Uh, so there's part of that at play as well, besides the issue of just you know being comfortable with that person, and because that's how things have been for so long, uh, you're also uh, confronted with the fact that you're dealing with that neighbor issue, right? You don't want to rock the boat. Yeah. Right. So there it was, you know, a, a new slate basically saying, oh, we're just going to keep things the same. Yeah, uh, Luke Cook is going to be the chair, uh, and, and here we go. Yeah. Let's, let's have another, you know, gangbusters year of eight people being involved in the party. <laughs> right? Right. So uh, essentially what I did at that point was looked over the rules. And I said, okay, well, after the election is over, the chair of the party can appoint precinct committee people, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's what I set out to do. I set out to recruit more people into the party because I'm like, here we are. We're doing all this work in the community, and we've got no help, right? We needed more people to do all of the things that we were trying to do go to committee meetings, go to county board meetings, go to city council meetings, you know, uh, go to the library meetings, and all of these other things that are important to our community. The park board meetings, right? Uh, the whole issue with the tabernacle. 
uh, that popped up that got people so interested. Uh, I, I don't know the last time that many people were interested in a park board meeting, but uh, for 100 people to show up at a park board meeting, it's pretty astounding. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and still, no support mm -hmm. from the leadership. So that's when I started recruiting people to say, hey, we need to get involved in the Democratic Party as precinct committee people because that is the true grassroots. Uh, the way I describe it to people is being a precinct committee person is essentially the Taco Bell, you know, it's the Taco Bell job when you're 18. Yeah. Right? It's your starter job. Mm -hmm. It's how you learn about how the party apparatus works, mm -hmm. right? So we set out to do that. Uh, and now I, I'm proud to say that uh, we have like 27 people as precinct committee people. Okay. And we're, we're trying to get the remaining 13 that we can. Uh, as, you know, I, I'm still demanding leadership change. Uh, but what we're doing, and I feel comfortable in saying that we have a majority of the people, right, right. on that committee. Uh, I, I would say a few over half right are on the side of changing leadership and being a more robust party mm -hmm. uh, so uh, through that we're now just building it up and, and even though we're now getting the silent treatment from the democratic <laughs> leadership right because that worked so well for them the last time right uh, we're just doing the work mm -hmm. right we're showing up in the community we're telling people the truth right uh, and sometimes the truth is difficult, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it's not always easy to sit down across from fellow Democrats or uh, people who are friends with the people that are in the leadership positions and say, here's the truth. Yeah. You know, do with it what you will, but just know that we're out here doing this work and that work that we're doing would be 10 times easier if we had the apparatus of the Democratic Party behind us and if we were all working together, mm -hmm. right? Not on the easy stuff. The, the easy stuff is supporting Joe Biden. Right. The easy stuff is supporting J.B. Pritzker. The easy stuff is supporting Sherry Bustos, right? The hard stuff is having hard conversations with local people to run for city council, to run for mayor, to run for county board, to run for township office, mm -hmm. to run for village president, so we don't have to call them village idiots. Right. Right? Well, that's the big difference between following orders and giving orders. Right. You know, it's easy to just say, oh, well, this is what the bigger party's doing, so we're just going to get in line and do that versus saying, what do we organize and do locally? Right. Locally, how do we affect change? How do we get this stuff? So you kind of, I'm sidetracking here, you kind of got up on... Now, please do sidetrack me. <laughs> uh, I, I hadn't planned on talking about that as long, but I know there's a lot of, you know, uh, I, I'll just say this to, to wrap that up. You know, so as I'm out in the community and talking to people and get, getting all of those messages that I told you about, people still don't know that it happened, mm -hmm. right? People don't know that the chair of the Democratic Party resigned, mm -hmm. right? And that there's a vacuum there right now as we're trying to decide how we're going to replace the leadership, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, there's a little internal battle on how that should be done, uh, that, you know, but it needs to happen. There needs to be a debate about this. There needs to be some hard conversations, right? Mm -hmm. But as I'm out in the community 
and I tell people that it's going on, they're excited. Yeah. They're excited because they didn't even know there was a Democratic Party in Sweden. Most people don't. They don't. No. Right? They're like, oh, well, I know that they, you know, I, I know that they come around during, you know, election season. Mm-hmm. You know, they acted like, you know, they were, you know, parachute in yeah. uh, for elections in Stevenson County. And then they live, you know, I don't know, in Rockford. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as I'm having these conversations now with people, uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that they're all easy. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that they're all supportive, but the vast majority of them are, and they're happy that myself and the others, again, I won't put other people's names on lists unless they uh, want to speak for themselves, uh, but they're happy that me and the other folks behind this are standing up to it and uh, having those difficult conversations. Yeah. Well, absolutely. There's definitely, and the, the the great thing about it is, like you said, is not only is there a vacuum there, and I think there's a lot of widespread enthusiasm that hasn't fully been tapped yet. On top of it, we're living in a day and age where technologically it's so much easier to communicate with that stuff. You know, between social media, it seems like you know once that ball got rolling on that, it could really pick up a lot of steam really, really quick. Wow. So that that's really, really awesome to hear. Um, but you kind of ended up on. Chesney's radar, didn't you? Didn't you post something about that? Yeah, yeah. He uh, he trolled or, or checked out my LinkedIn page, right? <laughs> uh, you know, which I'm an independent salesperson. I don't really use LinkedIn that much. I keep uh, it up to date with my current, you know, uh, job or whatever. You know, yeah. Because I'm self-employed, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he, he, you know, if he had to have done it on purpose, I mean, he has to know by now that you can hide, you, you know, the paid version of LinkedIn allows you to block your views, right? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if he has the paid version or not, you know, but he had to have known I was going to see it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he, he showed up as somebody that viewed my uh, LinkedIn page. Uh, you know, so again, everything's political, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, so I took a screenshot of it and posted it on my Facebook, right? Uh, because what reason does Andrew Chesney have to be showing up on my LinkedIn? Yeah. You know, I, I highly doubt he wants to employ me. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, I have a website. Yeah. I have an open Facebook page. Uh, all of it's there to look at. You can see what I do uh, through all of those things. I've handed my business card out to hundreds of people in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've shown up and declared who I am at city council meetings, county board meetings. Uh, hell, most of the Republicans in the community are also uh, on the Republican Central Committee of Stevenson County, which Andrew Chesney chairs. Okay. Right? He's the chair of the Republican Party of Stevenson County. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, Plus, everybody's got my phone number. Mm-hmm. If, if Andy wanted to talk to me, he should have just picked up the phone. Yeah. Right? Maybe he does want to hire you. Maybe he's vetting you. You know? Uh, yeah, I doubt it. He needs you as a campaign yeah. campaign manager that, or something. That goes back to that thin-skinned Republican conversation we had earlier. Yeah. They're not really adept at hearing the truth anymore. Right. Uh, so I doubt Andrew Chesney would want uh, me in his employable presence. Yeah. Well, you end up in that weird game with politics, one of those dangerous things when you've got um, an executive like Trump who is so, like, 
so far off the deep end that it leaves a whole lot of people in that party having to defend or explain a lot of things that no rational human being should have to defend or explain. It leaves you having to make some really, really awkward positions on certain subjects that probably, you know, let's face it, if any other, um, I shouldn't say any other, but for the most part, most of your mainstream Republicans, if any of them were president, you wouldn't have to be going to those extremes to, to say, you know, so that, that kind of makes me wonder, you know, what, um, I completely lost my train of thought right there. Oh yeah. Cause you know, when you, you think about it and it's like, you, you say, say whatever you want about Ronald Reagan, but for a long time, Ronald Reagan was sort of like the model Republican president to Republicans. Like he was there, he was their gold standard. And it's like if Ronald Reagan was alive today and was looking at what was going on in the Republican Party, he'd probably be wanting to take some people back and beat the crap out of him because they've strayed so far. Even, I mean, you can make your arguments whether you thought Reaganism was right or wrong, but for what they stood for then versus what they stood for now, there's such a stark contrast to it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, first, I'll, I'll, uh, I have to say, and I always do when I get the opportunity, uh, especially for my gay brethren, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was an evil asshole. Uh, you know, uh, he was responsible, just like Donald Trump, responsible for thousands, if not tens of thousands of people's deaths mm -hmm. uh, for his inaction during a pandemic. During right? the AIDS pandemic? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm no fan of Ronald Reagan. Right. I believe uh, me, neither am I. Even though I did vote for him in second grade. Uh, I think it was second grade. Uh, it's out, folks. You heard it. Right. He voted uh, for The him. only time I voted for a Republican president <laughs> in my life was second grade. Um, I, I still can't let myself live that one down. Hey, you know what? You're talking to a guy who in 2016 voted for Hillary Clinton. That's the first time in my life I ever voted for a Democrat. Wow. So that was, I went through a pretty significant change over the course of that. My thing is, is I was I grew up in the fact that because of my lifestyle and the family and the community where I was raised, I was afforded the ability to not be politically aware and not give a damn. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I didn't get into politics till 9-11 happened, you know? Okay. And so then you go into it very naive. As was a lot of people. Yeah. I, I went in with, you know, and of course this was after Bush had been elected, but in my mind, in my naive mindset, and of course, mind you at the time I was 21 and was venturing into politics for the first time. I was also just then beginning college and it was like, you know, the naivety was that we've been attacked, we're at war, this is our president, this is our commander-in-chief, it's time to circle the wagons and get behind him. You know, that was my initial, my initial foray into politics. Um, it didn't take me long, and this is like one like giant like character arc here, it didn't take me long after that to um, really become more of a libertarian, because while I found myself at the time anyway, agreeing with Republicans and conservatives when it came to stuff like... Um, you know, foreign policy or stuff like taxation and that kind of stuff. I, I never once had a taste for their social conservatism, not once. Right. You know, I grew up in a family where I had uh, homosexuals in my family from a very, very young age. And again, it's like we said earlier, when you, when that's introduced to you at a young age, you never question it. Right. Like, it's just, it's fine. We all love each other and everything's fine. Um, so I was a libertarian for a long time. And then the, the switch really came when I kind of realized that the sort of economic policies that libertarianism and republicanism shares are bullshit right. and then i'm like well i guess i'm just progressive now like, you know so so there was kind of this slow argument i have some people on facebook you know who have been friends of mine for years and i see some of the stuff i post and they're like bro 
what happened to you? Yeah. I, I, I turned to the dark side. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's the only way to go with it. But anyway, back to your, back to the fact that it's on record that you voted for Reagan. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never vote that one down. <laughs> I, I wish uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, Friesenbach at the at the time would have uh, talked me out of it. Uh, but. No, I, I think that's an inter interesting uh, conversation to be had as well, because one of the things that we are confronting uh, is that there are these folks in Stevenson County, and not just here, it's everywhere, uh, that think we have to be civil, right? Mm -hmm. That they think uh, that you know we can't use our anger and bad language uh, to confront the people that are trying to keep us down. Right. Uh, and I, I wholeheartedly disagree, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's enough of this. You know, we are living under a president uh, who has taken total advantage of our civility, right? Uh, because we spend so much time thinking, well, we can't sink to his level. You know, mm -hmm. no. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I disagree with that. Yeah. You know, you, you can't fight a bully with kindness. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work. I don't care how many people try to tell you that it does. That's not how you confront a bully, and we all know. It. Right. You know, and we sure as hell all know that in Freeport, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Right? No matter who we are, uh, for the most part, all of us had our bully in high school. Oh, right? yeah. We... Uh, or grade school, whatever it might have been, or the neighborhood bully, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the community is small enough that it was never segregated where the suburbs were so distanced from, you know, the downtown population, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we all had to go to schools together or camps together, or eventually we would intermingle somehow. Uh, so those bullies would always show up somewhere, oh, yeah. right? Uh, and you never got rid of them by being kind to them. No. Right? Or coward. Uh, usually what it took is your big cousin to kick his ass. Right. right? <laughs> you know, that's, and, and that's what I had on my side. Right. Uh, you know, I come from two pretty rough and tumble families on, on you know, two sides of me. Uh, the only thing I equate to why I was so protected is I came from those two families. Mm -hmm. uh, so I didn't get bullied a lot, uh, especially for my sexuality, which I keep pretty well kept pretty well hidden uh, all through school. Uh, but I would sure as hell uh, get bullied within my own family. Like I was untouchable <laughs> to anybody else, right? Because they were afraid of who my family. Was. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't mean I wasn't protected, or I was protected, you know, within my family. Mm -hmm. uh, but in, anyway, so what it comes down to is that we've all been told because of the smallness of our community, or at least our mind's eye, uh, you know, on how small the community is, is that we have to be civil to each other. Mm -hmm. We have to be nice. You know, we, we can't, you know, I had somebody reach out to uh, the voice of Freeport uh, because one of our moderators mistakenly was under the voice of Freeport, uh, you know, uh, commenting, you know, uh, on something and called Andrew Chesney an idiot, mm -hmm. right? So one of our, you know, uh, viewers uh, sent a message and essentially said, uh, you know, 
journalistic integrity requires you to, you know, not call him an idiot in that case, right? And I was like, (laughs) okay, I kind of get that, right? Right. Uh, On a civil, you know, in in the civil aspect of it, right? But then I'm thinking to myself, who doesn't think Andrew Chesney is an idiot? Yeah. Is, is there anybody that doesn't think that? Do you think he was upset that he was called an idiot? Or do you think he was upset that nobody put the word fucking before it? No, I, I, I know this person, or at least I know of them. Uh, so I, I honestly believe that that's what they believe. Okay. Right? I think it's coming from a genuine place. Okay. Right? But what I say to folks is that we are no longer in a civil society. Right. You know, we are in a post-civil society. Right. <laughs> and your attempt to drag it back there is wasting the time of the people that are fighting this fight. Well, and not to mention, fact, it ends up really, really easy when it's like, when that's, and I'm not saying that's what this person did at all, but when you get into some of these discussions, it's real easy to deflect from the subject at hand and just be like, well, now you're just not being civil. Right. Like, no, you're not addressing yeah, what yeah. I'm saying to you or debating the merits of our conversation. Right. And I think... On both sides, there's something to be said for that. I could sit here all day long with somebody who's Republican, and we could have a very, very civil discussion about you know, certain subjects like tax brackets or things like that. Right. But when we're having discussions about things like racism or homophobia or the way we treat the homeless, that, those I don't have patience yeah, for yeah, civility yeah. in those conversations. Yeah. Because yeah. either you're an asshole or you're not. It's that right. simple. And, you know? and I think most of us, you know, I won't speak as the voice of Freeport here. <laughs> I'll speak as Carl Ott. But I, I think most of us would agree that are on the right side of history that Andrew Chesney is an asshole. Yeah. Right? Uh, he does not care about his uh, progressive-minded constituents. No. You know? No. Uh, he, he doesn't. Yeah. He's given no evidence that he does. Mm-hmm. So I have no problem as an individual saying that Andrew Chesney does not give a damn about the minorities in this community, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I have no problem saying that Brian Stewart does not give a damn about the minorities in this community. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they did, they would have showed up at something by now. Right. Right? Yeah. Where are they? Yeah. Show up. Yeah. You know, so that's what I say to the folks that, you know, I, I get where they're coming from, and I wish I could afford to live in the high-minded society that they're still dreaming of. Mm-hmm. But we don't live in that world right now. Yeah. Right? This is a this is a bar brawl. Yeah. Know? This is a Nora bar brawl, <laughs> right? To, to, to put it in a local reference. Yeah, I was gonna say you're from yeah. this area when you bring Nora into yeah, it. Yeah. Which you know I, I've I've been in a couple of bar brawls in Nora back in my day. I think it's a rite of passage around yeah, here, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, that's what we're in right now. Uh-huh. Right. This is 4 a.m. Nora's about to close, and some guy just broke a beer bottle on the bar and started a bar brawl. Yeah. Right? There's no time for civility. And now you're just not being civil, sir. Right. right. You know, <laughs> uh, so that's that's the message that I want to send. Is right. Yes, we, we want to get along with people, but you don't get along with people and say thank you, sir, when they're trying to pull the rug out from under you. Well, that's just it. And, and I think the whole civility thing is kind of a near to begin with. I'm, I'm sure. Have you seen or heard Listen to Hamilton? Are you a Hamilton fan? Yeah, I, I, I've listened to the music, but I have not seen it. Good guy, good guy. But there's that period in there, I remember at the end, that always made me laugh. And they made it, they made a really big point in the play to sort of highlight it when 
him and Burr are going back and forth about arranging this duel. And of course, it's all coached in this very flowery language. You know, I am your obedient servant. At the time, it was all veneer, too. They were being classy. They were following the rules of civility of making plans to fucking shoot each other. Right. Like, okay, what are, yeah, we yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but at least, you know, they didn't call each other an idiot. Right, yeah. Well, no, they just did that under pseudonyms in the press, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> was... I, I mean, I guess she saved the labels for the one that's alive or dead. I don't know. Yeah, right. What, what does it matter? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it makes no sense. To uh, and the only reason I bring that up is because that is a, a big part of the conversation that happens around here. And, and I just want to appeal to people uh, to let that go. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I know it's not hard, or I, I know it's not easy. Right. You know, we want to believe the best mm -hmm. about our fellow humans, and we want to believe the best about our neighbors and the people that teach in our schools and the people that run our businesses. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, uh, we have to fight this, mm -hmm. you know, and you can't fight it civilly. Right. Yeah. You know, this is not an exchange of ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a war uh, for people who have two completely opposite views of how to run our country. Well, at no point in time in human history did a... I don't want to say revolution, but there was never a transformative time in human history where things got better for the good and it happened civilly. Right. Not once. No, not once. And I'm not advocating for violence. Believe me, I'm not saying that at all. But there was never a point in time where people wanted things to be better, went to the people in power, and the people in power went, oh, okay, we didn't realize that. Well, let's have a conversation, and then things got better. Well, it's important to point out that, you know, we, and that's the other thing that I try to convey to people, you know, we always get stuck in this frame of mind where we say, I'm not advocating for violence, by mm -hmm. the way, right? It, it's built into us. It's ingrained into us. Well, guess what? We're not the people perpetrating the violence. Right. Mm -hmm. Throughout history, the people that have perpetrated the violence are the people that own everything. The people in power. Right? Because guess what? Uh -huh. They hired the people to perpetrate the violence well, yeah. for them. Yeah. You know, no different than the Union Busters, the Pinkertons, and all of the other mm -hmm. ones. Right? They were hired by the corporations to beat the crap out of the people that were trying to organize the union. They were trying to make change right? their lives weren't so shit. Women, yeah. women's suffrage, mm -hmm. trying to organize the right for, to vote for women. They were beaten. Yeah. They were beaten by the business mm -hmm. owners that did not want women in the business of voting. Yeah. And then, of course, so, civil rights. Civil rights. You know, right? turning. They killed. They, they literally killed all the leaders of the civil yeah. rights movement. Yeah, and even other protesters, fire hoses and dogs yeah. and bad, bad, bad stuff. Yeah. Well, so, uh, it, it all feeds into the same conversation of saying, you know, you're asking the people who are opposing the violence to be civil. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, so that's, that's really where that conversation has to end up, and I would encourage everybody to yeah. keep having that conversation that you're asking the people who are being beaten down yeah. to do it civilly. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but it's sort of like the people in power saying, we'll have this discussion, but we're doing it on our terms. Right. And it's like, no, that's, yeah, which is a really good way to just take the momentum out of something before it can even get started, wow. you know? Yeah. Hmm. So are there bright things on the future? Uh, Good things on the horizon? Yeah, I think so. I, mm -hmm. I think, uh, first and foremost, uh, since uh, the murder of George Floyd, 
uh, I'm more inspired than ever, not just in our community, but you know, for for our country and the world, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the March on Stevenson. Uh, I I personally believe that it will go down uh, in history for Stevenson County, uh, where we now have a Lincoln Douglas debate square. Uh, I would hope that someday we will see a March on Stevenson Square, <laughs> right? Yes. I believe that's how inspirational and brave that was to do. Uh, you know, and for Philanise, Anthony, and Tamaya, uh, three folks that are probably looking beyond Freeport for their future, uh, to think of where they grew up and to say, uh, I, I'm gonna organize this for where I grew up and where I went to school. Uh, I don't think we can say enough about that. Mm -hmm. you know? I, I get a little misty-eyed when I talk about <laughs> it because I never would have done that. Yeah. I never thought enough about Freeport, you know, as a place that I grew up or was that attached to it mm -hmm. uh, that I would have, you know, said, oh, I, you know, gay marriage is here. I'm going to go back to Freeport in order to organize a gay marriage rally. Right. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so that's inspiring. Mm -hmm. uh, and to be a small part of that uh, and to be there to, you know, uh, see LaFrancine Baker, you know, and that, you know, wonderful speech that she gave that, again, I think is going to go down in history. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, uh, you know, when this time is remembered, uh, you know, people in Northwest Illinois are going to remember LaFrancine Baker's speech that day, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think they're going to remember that a thousand people showed up uh, to uh, band together, uh, and a good portion of them white people, you know, which needs to be said, uh, showed up to show our community that we're not going to put up with this anymore. Right. Um, so what that meant to me uh, was that now, all of a sudden, there were a bunch of 20-something-year-olds in my midst, mm -hmm. right, uh, that I was blown away by. I, I was completely blown away uh, to see that they uh, had all these skills that, well, not when I was 22. <laughs> right. You know, I, I was, you know, lucky if I was able to open my seventh beer can, right? right? Uh, Huber Beer. Mm -hmm. Everybody remember Huber Beer? Uh, you had to get a bottle opener. Uh, my old roommate here back in Freeport a long time ago, by the way, we would have a front refrigerator in the living room where we would keep the Huber Beer, and then the back refrigerator in the kitchen would be for the Heineken and, you know, all of the good beer. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I just thought of Huber Beer, so I had to tell that story. Uh, most people wouldn't understand that story. Uh, but anyway, uh, meeting all of these younger adults, uh, you know, it blew me away. Uh, because here we are, we're talking about a vacuum of leadership in the community. Mm -hmm. And then you see these 20-something-year-olds organize this rally, organized a letter-writing campaign, got involved in all of these local things, uh, and, and then, you know, Help me, help lead me to opening uh, the the voice of Freeport, mm -hmm. right? And, and kind of coaxed me along with that idea. Uh, that wasn't even an idea really until the March on Stevenson happened. Yeah. Right. 
it, it's truly amazing. I'm still sitting here in shock. Uh, that we launched the Voice of Freeport now not even three weeks ago, mm-hmm. right? Uh, still just blown away by it, you know? Like, last month I was an insurance agent. Uh, this month I'm an insurance agent and have a small hyper-local media company. And you're an activist. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, it inspired me to take that next step because we didn't have, because the weakness of the Democratic Party here uh, and nobody showing up to put out a press release. It, it was disastrous. It took us like eight days to just agree on a press release oh my God. for the local Democratic Party. What in the right? hell? Over the death of George Floyd. Should have been easy. Yeah. Right? No brainer. Yeah. You know, even Andrew Chesney could have done it. Somebody that. writes it, somebody checks the punctuation, right, put it out. Right. Sorry, Andrew, I didn't mean to swing at you that way. <laughs> uh, so it, it was it was frustrating. So I'm like, we got to do something. We cannot let the social justice movement pass us by in this county, mm-hmm. right? Here we have the the inspiration of these three twenty something year olds building this movement, right? To have this march, uh, did so fantastic at it. Even though two of them were out of town while organizing, yeah, right. Uh, Talked with the mayor, the, the, the police chief, city council members, uh, all the community leaders. Uh, meanwhile, you know, it, it took uh, several days for us to, you know, organize the, the, the car, uh, the, the, uh, the parade, the Black the, Lives Matter parade. Yeah, 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 the, yeah. The car one, right? Yeah. It took several days for that to happen. Meanwhile, you know, all this miraculous stuff is happening. Um, so that taught me a lot, and or I guess taught is the wrong word. It reminded me, uh, or it made me think of what I felt like when I was 20-something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I didn't feel that I had the world at my fingers then. Right. Right? I didn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt hopeless. I felt I was growing up in a place that ne- would never accept me. Yeah. I felt I was going to be working at uh, a factory mm-hmm. in Monroe, Wisconsin for my entire life. Yeah. Uh, so when I saw that hope, you know, I said, this is where we need to go, mm-hmm. right? You know, we need to display that hope, right? So then I thought about it again. I'm like, who's out there? going to display the hope of the March on Stevenson. Yeah. Who out there is going to display the hope of these 20-something-year-olds that stepped forth for their community? Uh, Who's going to show it? Yeah. Sure, WREX is going to show up for the March, Mm -hmm. right? Hoping that it turns violent so they get some really good footage. Exactly, yeah. That's why they're really there. Yeah. Because that's what our media is about, Mm -hmm. you know? Our for-profit media, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's where the rumblings in my brain started. Plus, we only have a couple of local outlets that report anything that even could be considered news. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to mention their names, but we all know who they are. Uh, Facebook-centric. Uh, and they're just terrible for our community. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, They allow rumors to run rampant. They start them sometimes. They don't do anything to correct them when they do find out their rumors. 
uh, and a lot of our business community backs them up and supports them. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the other thing that kind of tumbled around in my brain for the two plus years that I had been back here uh, on a part-time basis as I was still, you know, doing my travel thing and, you know, uh, getting my travel game on. Uh, but I was here, I can't remember if it was the first year or the second year, uh, but some rumored school shooting thing happened, yeah. right? Where it spread on social media like wildfire. And then it turned into, a, you know, a gang of black kids was going to shoot up the high school, mm -hmm. right? Um, which, if you know your Freeport history, uh, you know, it is one of the stories that people from the 60s tell oh, yeah. about the junior high, right? Yeah. Uh, now, that actually did happen in some form. I don't know the full story mm -hmm. about it, but uh, all it reminded me is that there, there are no adults manning the store. Right. right? Mm -hmm. uh, so when I saw that rumor start, and then it turned up being one kid who posted something on Instagram or uh, Snapchat or something, I, I don't even remember the whole story now. Uh, but it was completely overblown. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the cops did nothing. The school system did nothing. The school district didn't even announce that it wasn't that serious until the following Monday. Yeah. Right? When every parent in the Not district... Not once did the Facebook page responsible for starting that rumor ever apologize mm -hmm. uh, for what they started. Uh, they didn't correct it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was pissed off beyond belief about that. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't believe that there wasn't one adult in charge in this town that didn't march down to the police station and ask for every one of them to resign. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, or the school board, or the city, or whoever was in charge of whatever. Uh, you know. Or that we didn't organize a campaign for everybody to leave that Facebook page that allowed that to happen. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Disturbing. Uh, and, and those things have happened a few times since I've been back here. Uh, so that was the other reason that I kind of had this grumbling going on inside uh, that there needed to be an alternative. Mm -hmm. Right? A responsible alternative. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that's that was the the underlying reason, uh, the primary reason was I met uh, amazing people like Philanise and Anthony, Tamaya, uh, Nick Welch, uh, who is doing a fantastic job, uh, you know, with the Voice of Freeport. Uh, not to mention all of the others that are behind the scenes uh, helping us uh, with either, you know, just amazing tips on reporting. I'm not a reporter. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about journalism. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have to have somebody proofread all of my writing to make sure I've punctuated everything properly. <laughs> right. and, and, you know, my sentence structure is right. Uh -huh. uh, remember, I dropped out of school when I was like 15, you know, mm -hmm. English wasn't my, you know, my thing. Uh, you know, so all of those folks that stepped forward to do that are kind of responsible for this. Uh, and, you know, the, the, me being propelled forward with all of these ideas, uh, it was really their inspiration that caused all of this to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm just the guy that, you know, 
when I have an idea, I jump into it. Yeah, that's a way to do it. Well, my man, we plowed through over two hours here. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, those are always the good podcasts. Yeah. When I look down, I'm like, holy shit, it's been yeah. that long. It feels like 15 minutes. <laughs> right. right. Well, you got anything you want to say to everybody in closing? Uh, so, uh, I, I guess, you know, the, the overarching thing uh, for me, the theme here uh, for me getting involved here locally is that I wanted that idyllic childhood that a lot of people around here get, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I wanted to feel like I was welcomed in my community and that I could be who I was growing up to be, right? And due to that fact that, you know, of homophobia and racism and all of those things that segment us from our community uh, are still so prevalent in this community right. that while now, I, as a 48-year-old white man, uh, can walk around this community like I own it. Mm -hmm. Because of what I grew out of, I recognize that a good 50% of our population, uh, which is far worse than when I grew up here, uh, doesn't have a chance at that, right? Uh, You know, our community poverty rate hovers somewhere around 30% in Stevenson County, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, I, I believe, and don't quote me on this one, but I know I'm somewhere in the vicinity, somewhere around 15% of our community is food poor mm-hmm. or food scarce. Uh, you know, so when I walk through the community now with everything that I've picked up over the 23 years since I moved away from here, uh, I see all of those things now that remind me of, you know, uh, little things when I was a kid. Uh, that I didn't feel I had access to, right? Something as simple as going to Little League Baseball uh, and playing in these fields right over here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Continental League, I think it was at the time, where <laughs> yeah. you play on the, the corner of Burchard and Empire, right? Yeah. The field over there mm-hmm. before they put the big one in. Uh, it was two little fields that didn't even have a fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I would play right across, we would play baseball right across from Canova's, right? Yeah. And I remembered as I was driving around as an adult now here, you know, uh, 40 years later, remember feeling that I would never be able to eat in a restaurant like Canova's, mm-hmm. right? Because it was on the good side, good side of, town. of town. Yeah. Uh, it's weird uh, as an adult, you know, to be back in a community that you grew up in with those thoughts. Uh, because I, I never did, by the mm-hmm. way. I never had Canova's when really? I was a kid. Okay. No, we were Samino's family. Oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but never once did I think of that as something that was messed up. Yeah. Right? I just thought that's the way it was. Right. Right? Mm. So that's what we're out here doing is to tell people that's not the way it is, mm-hmm. right? It can be better. So I want to give one shout-out, and I think this is probably the best way to end this. Uh, I won't use his name, but a lot of people know him. Uh, but he showed up to city council about a month ago now, a little over three weeks ago, uh, and did not know that he could show up and speak mm-hmm. at city council, right? Or that he was even allowed access inside the door. Okay. Right? Uh, 
that's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think of the the work that you're doing, and you think of the access that you're trying to provide people to those spaces, uh, that that gets me up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, makes me power through the four and a half hour night of sleep. Yeah. You know? uh, that. Uh, gets me through that late night proposal that I've got to get out to my customers so I can still make a living. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I can get up and play uh, journalist and activist tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that story right there is all I would need. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing that I'm helping somebody who didn't even know until they showed up themselves. Right. I didn't. I didn't bring them in there. Uh, they just showed up themselves. And I'm like, hey, who are you? Oh, well, I'm the guy that didn't know I could even do this yesterday, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, well, welcome. You know, uh, let let me show you how some of this works, right? Uh, That uh, is the reason that we're all doing this, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And that's the reason that all of us are working together to make the changes that we're trying to make uh, because our community is no different than Chicago. Right. You know, we can have an active Democratic Party in our city. Mm-hmm. Right. We can have uh, agreement with moderate-minded people on how to run our city. Right. Uh, and we can work with uh, the black folks, the Hispanic folks, and the white folks that want to make our city better, uh, and not allow, quite frankly, these. Republican sycophants who are, are on Trump's side, mm-hmm. right? Most of them in charge of our city and our county government are Trump sycophants, yeah. right? Most of them, not all of them. Uh, but if we all work together, we can change that, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, allowing uh, people who are in their 20s access to those uh, seats of power uh, is what we need to do to change it. Because sure. they are literally our future for sure right? we have to stop giving platitudes to it now mm-hmm. and just do it so that's what i'm telling people in their 50s and 60s get the hell out of the way right stop holding on to it mm-hmm. it's time to let them uh, be in charge because guess what in the month i've been working with them now uh they've accomplished more than you did in the five months i was working with you yeah so let's please give them a chance absolutely i'm not arguing with it Absolutely. <clears throat> well, brother, you're doing some great work. Keep it up. Um, 100%. Look forward to having you back on again in the future. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's Carl. You know who I am. And uh, we'll stop there. Thank you, everybody.